Uh, today we're continuing on in our series, um, walking through the Sermon on the Mount. We have two more weeks, this week and next week, and then we are finished, finished with the Sermon on the Mount. Um, but today the passage that we're going to be in is Matthew 7, uh, starting in verse 15. So if you have a Bible and want to follow along, you can get there. If you uh, want to read along in a physical Bible um, and you didn't bring one, there are, um, uh, there's one on every other seat, under the seat, I should say. And if you don't have one at home, please take that home with you. That's our gift um, from us to you. Okay, so we'll be in Matthew 7, verses 15 through 23 this morning. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, um, like we say every week here, um, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful that you've revealed yourself to us in an act of mercy and grace. You've You've given us your word so we can hear from you on a regular basis, especially in this environment, in this gathering. It is the central thing, is your word. Um, and I pray now as we, as we walk through this passage, I pray that you would um, allow us to understand it with our minds, that we would comprehend it, that it would, it would change our, our hearts, it would elicit some emotions, some feelings as we walk through the passage, and that would also um, confront uh, maybe the ways we live and that we would be challenged to live differently as a result of this passage. And I pray that your spirit would do these things, and not, nothing that I say, but to, your spirit would be working uh, through the text this morning so that you may receive glory and honor uh, for the work that is done in this place today. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So the Sermon on the Mount has been about, we've said it every week, but it, it is about um, Jesus answering the question, what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be human, especially as it relates to the kingdom of God? And today we're looking at the second of three exhortations or, or challenges that Jesus puts in front of us now that we're at the end of this sermon. Okay, Jesus has, has, has taught a lot of content through Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Now he comes to the end here and he's going to give us three really vivid illustrations or pictures he lays before us to help us understand what to do now. These are application ideas. These are things that should cause us to want to move and act. Okay, this week is uh, the second of those three. Last week, we heard Jesus telling us that there were, in, the, in kind of the first exhortation, that there are only two roads. There are two roads in this life. There's a broad road, um, a wide road that leads to destruction, and then there's a narrow road that leads to life. And really, the, the, the thing that will determine what road we take really is what is that road leading to? What's promised to me when I enter in that road, right? What, what, what's going to come to me as I make this decision on the narrow road or the wide road? 
And I would say every human being, if I was just to ask that, do you want life and life to the fullest? I think every human being would say, sure, I'll take life and life to the fullest. But here's the question. The question comes down to, are you going to put your faith and trust in Jesus and believe what he says and believe when he says the narrow road actually leads to life and all other roads, the wide road will lead to destruction? Are we going to put our faith in Jesus, that, that he is going to lead us to life? Or are we going to put our faith and belief and trust in something else, in someone else maybe even, and, let, and, and follow them and believe that their way or that road is going to lead to life? But Jesus was clear last week. He said that my path, my way is the only one that does not lead to destruction. And today in this passage, Jesus gives us another stern warning. Let's look at verse 15. He starts off strong with kind of some, some sobriety here. He says, beware of false prophets. And Jesus is trying to get our attention here out of the gate, right? He wants us to, to beware, right? That's a, that's a strong word. And that word is used six times in the book of Matthew. And every time Jesus uses that word in the book of Matthew, he's actually referring to spiritual leaders, religious leaders, right? So when he says, be careful, watch out, beware, it's, it's in the context of spiritual leadership in, in, in those specific examples. But in today's passage, he specifically says false prophets. That idea from false there is, 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 is quasi-prophets or pseudo-prophets. And prophets were those uh, people who spoke on behalf of God throughout the scriptures we see them. They were to take God's message and communicate it clearly, um, most oftentimes to God's people or, or to, to people in general. They were supposed to do anything more or less. They were communicators of God's word. Whatever he wanted them to say, they were to say. That's how they um, fulfilled their office of being a prophet. And this is a common theme throughout the scriptures. Now, these false prophets weren't people who were speaking directly against God. They weren't uh, like atheists who, who, who discounted God and didn't believe in God. Um, they, that's why they're called pseudo-prophets. They spoke some truth. They also spoke some lies. And they were maybe claiming to be speaking on behalf of God, or at least claiming some level of spiritual authority, but they really didn't have any. These words really weren't coming from God. Now, some of you in here, when you hear false prophets, that may seem um, dated or archaic, and it's like, why, why do we have to talk about this? Um, this kind of seems weird. Uh, does it seem really relevant anymore? And maybe some of you, the last time you heard of false prophets talked about in the church, maybe things just got, got weird. Um, I don't know. So when you hear this, I want you to stay with this text. We can't skip over this. We need to dig in here uh, because this is a big deal to Jesus, right? He starts off by saying, beware. That should immediately get our attention. Like, beware what, Jesus? Because beware of false prophets. So when we think false prophets or false teachers, false spiritual leaders, um, we shouldn't think robe and sandals, okay? If you're thinking like robe and sandals from like maybe like the biblical prophet, don't think that way. That's not what this looks like in our day and age. This could be um, thought leaders or influencers. It could be pastors. It could be podcasters, writers, bloggers, people with a, 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 a platform of some kind, maybe some, some, um, some role that they've been put in. False prophets are capable, really, of being anyone, anywhere. 
But I think the person that Jesus specifically has in mind in this passage um, is the fact that someone who has enough power and influence and giftedness and, and looks and sounds a lot like the real thing that you can be duped by him, that you can be tricked, that you can follow them without knowing it because they have that authority. They have that, that external um, wow factor that causes you to be attracted to them. So I think he's specifically talking about leaders here, but I think anyone is capable of becoming um, someone who is um, a false prophet or is, uh, is being deceptive in that way. Now, when Jesus' audience in this day and age, when he's preaching here, um, prophets hearing this wouldn't have been a big deal, right? Like it was a common theme because from the beginning of the scriptures, we see this, this prophecy about the coming Messiah, the one true prophet that would come one day. The whole books of the Old Testament were written by prophets talking about the coming of Jesus, the one true prophet. So in the Jewish culture, in the Hebrew culture, um, there was this, this anticipation um, for many, many thousands of years of the one who was to come. So they're, 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 they were hopeful. So when someone came along saying, I'm a prophet, I'm a great prophet, here are the words, or even I'm a Messiah to some degree, um, they were intrigued. Because they were, they, were, they were getting impatient, right? For so long, they had heard about Jesus. And so it wasn't a surprise, where I think, Jesus to warn um, the audience about these kinds of people, especially in light of all the teaching he's just given to us. He's saying, watch out, beware of false prophets. Now, let's continue on. So this is, this is um, kind of who they are. Um, and this is uh, kind of describing how they come to us. Next, who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Okay, they come to you in sheep's clothing, but the, on, in, on the inside they are ravenous wolves. So what he's saying here is in, in the, the false prophet world, they will come to you looking like real prophets. They will come to you looking like real Christians, but on the inside they are ferocious predators looking for people to devour. So be careful. He, Jesus takes a a common uh, picture from pop culture of that day. Um, this idea of, of wolves hiding out, pretending to be sheep was a common saying that was going around that predated Jesus. So he, he borrows that and he uses it to show how sneaky and conniving these false prophets can be. This is the shepherd's job was to, to, to always be on the lookout for wolves that would try to infiltrate the flock and, 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 and do damage to the sheep. So these false prophets, they look and they sound like Christians or, or God's people. They're winsome. They use Christian vocabulary and use Christian words, but, but change definitions, tweak what things mean. Um, they, you, we'll see later in the passage today, they say, Lord, Lord. So they're actually appealing to God as, as someone who maybe thinks they're saved. They're calling God Lord. Um, what, they said, what, they, what they say is attractive. What they say is, is, is winsome. Because Jesus wouldn't have had to say beware if these types weren't attractive. If they weren't highly influential, Jesus wouldn't even wasted his breath by saying beware. There's something about this kind of person and this kind of leader that he says beware of. They're like wolves dressed up like sheep to infiltrate the flock or to gain influence. And all throughout the scriptures, you'll see warnings of false prophets and false teachers. And we see it a lot in the New Testament as well, the, the, the leaders of the early church warning the church about uh, these types of people. Okay? So this is who they are, this describing false prophets. Now, 
how will we recognize them? Okay, how are we going to recognize them? Verse 16, you will recognize them, Jesus says, by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, thus you will recognize them by their fruits. So a few things here. Jesus gives us some, some tips, I think, to, uh, to, to be able to spot false prophets or false leaders, false teachers. First, he says, what, look for the fruit. Look for the good fruit. Now, he doesn't say perfect fruit. No one's perfect other than Jesus, right? So he says good fruit. Over time, a person, a leader, will produce good fruit. Now, we have, we, can't, we have to go further. We have to define good because we can kind of import what we want good to mean into the text. Um, and the Bible doesn't necessarily define good as being nice or happy or tolerant, right? That's not how the Bible um, really um, determines what good fruit is. And there's actually a, a good passage for this. It's Galatians 5, and where he lists the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is the, these are the, the, the fruits, the markers of someone who's following Jesus. So if someone's going to profess to have some measure of authority or influence, it's, it's wise to look at the fruit that they are producing in their lives. So let's look at the fruits, number one. Number two, he says, really, look at the character. Look at the character. Um, and, and really, he uses this, this tree analogy, and he's saying what trees produce actually is determined by what's inside of them. Like if a tree produces apples, there's something inside the DNA of a fruit of that tree that actually is going to produce apples. So he's saying, look at the inside. Um, even when someone can appear externally holy and righteous and seems to have it all together, they can be a decaying corpse on the inside. This is what Jesus says about the Pharisees. He says, on the outside, you're like a whitewashed tomb. You look good. You look good on the outside, but you're actually a tomb because it's clean on the outside, but inside it's decaying rot. This is your heart, Jesus says, about the Pharisees. Uh, when someone ha- it could be a really gifted and winsome communicator, they may not have the character on the inside that matches it. Someone can perform miraculous deeds externally, inc- including casting out demons and, and, and great healings, but that doesn't necessarily mean there's a level of maturity as it relates to God. And this is why it's difficult to recognize false prophets and false teachers. Um, and you see that there's this external and internal um, kind of thing that Jesus has, has done all throughout the Sermon on the Mount, but he keeps it up here. He's saying he wants us to remember, look at the inside. Look at the inside. Don't be so, so compelled by the outside. We have to look at the inside. It's not good enough for someone just to be telling the truth. We need to understand why are they telling the truth. Is there hidden motivations? Are there hidden agendas? Does what's coming out of someone's mouth actually match, does it, does it match up with what's on the inside? Okay, is there some congruency to what, how, they, how they speak and how they live to what their actually life is like on the inside? But what this makes this difficult is you have to kind of get to know someone before you start to pick out some of these things. You have to know them and be close to them, which is really a lesson for us that we should, the, I think the people with the greatest influence over our lives should, people that, should be the people that are closest to us, right? If you're being heavily influenced by someone from afar and you don't know them, like you're not around them. You don't know what fruit they have. You don't know what kind of character they have. I think there's a little bit of a warning there. We need to tread lightly. 
Like the people that have the most influence over you should be the people that are close to you. For the most, that doesn't mean you can learn from people from afar. It doesn't mean that. But I think when it gets down to the people that you're saying, I'm going to follow them, I'm going to trust them, they're going to lead me down the narrow road that ends in life where Jesus is waiting for us. Like the formation of Jesus. Like that, that, that's the kind of person we want to follow, which you have to know them. You have to be close to them and, and understand them. And this is another uh, really um, just a reason why we should be a part of the church. We should give ourselves to a community of, of, of brothers and sisters in Christ so we can influence one another. We can encourage one another. Uh, we, can, we can help one another grow. We can remind one another of the scriptures and the truths of God. And we need each other, and especially at Providence Road. This is a, a, a time to plug missional communities. Right? Like we should be influenced by those closest to us. And missional communities are our way that we express the church um, in everyday life. Okay? So remember, someone can have great characteristics ex- externally, but have a bankrupt character. And this is why uh, recognition is so difficult. Okay? So um, know the f- pay attention to the fruit, know their character. I think the third thing, um, pay attention who's following. Like, pay attention who's following. Like, if, if someone has a massive following and, and people are spread out over lots of groups of people, lots of different kinds of groups of people, um, I would have some, some pause with that. Because Jesus, the greatest teacher, uh, most winsome person in the history of the world, he was hated by a few groups of people. He was even killed. And Jesus says, they're going to treat you the same way they treated me. Historical Christian tradition tells us that 11 out of the 12 closest followers of Jesus, his disciples, suffered a martyr's death. That means they were hated enough to be killed. And the one who wasn't martyred actually was sent in exile to an island to die alone. Okay, so when someone is claiming to have this spiritual influence of authority and everyone is following them, there's no groups that seem to be offended by anything they're saying, that would be a yellow flag. Not necessarily for sure that they're a false prophet, but I think that is something to keep in mind as you observe and think through uh, maybe the things that are influencing you. And I think the last thing, so that's the third, the last thing I think of in general, this is more of a generality, not necessarily tied to this passage, but um, when they're teaching and they're influenced, does it cause you to love Jesus more and want to obey God? But just simply, like if, if they're teaching, if it's calling you to love Jesus more and obey God above everything else, then that's a pretty good sign that they're a, a, a not a, a false teacher because they're pointing you back to God. Now, some, some people are um, going to muddy the waters of the gospel where it's really hard to find the narrow way. So back to the two roads illustration Jesus used last week. Some people are going to muddy the gospel up where you can't even find the narrow road. Make, make Christianity such a, a weight that you can't find even the way to salvation. Some people muddy the gospel by taking the narrow road and making it way wider than Jesus intended it to be. And then some people are going to say that these roads are going to lead to the same place, right? Like, like you can take the wide road or you can take the narrow road. They're both going to end up in the same place anyway. And that is, that's wrong. That is not biblical. Jesus says, like we talked about last week, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to God. No one um, gets salvation unless they come through me. Okay? Lastly, let's look at the last three verses of the passage. This is what Jesus will, uh, says will happen to the false prophets. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? 
and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Lawlessness there, I think it's an interesting word. It's just being creator of chaos, disorderly, dissension, division, lawlessness. What Jesus is saying here is these types of leaders will be found out eventually. Maybe not in this life, but for sure in the next life. These kinds of people will be found out. And oftentimes it takes time. Think back to the fruit tree illustration. It takes some time to determine whether a fruit, whether a tree is actually going to produce good fruit or that tree is going to produce bad fruit of some, some kind. Okay? It takes some time often to see these things happen. And that, those last three verses, I think, should, should, uh, we shouldn't dismiss those as like, oh, that's not for me. That's talking to people maybe who are trying to be deceiving. Um, I think we're all capable of this. So I think we need to look at these verses with some, some sobriety and, and really see this as a warning for a few minutes. Um, these verses are haunting. Because what Jesus is saying here is you can do all these amazing things on the, ex- on the outside. Prophecy, healing, mighty works, things that we would often say, this is, this is like the, the, the best of the best of Christianity here. And Jesus is saying it doesn't matter. Like that stuff does not matter unless I know you. Unless I know you. And that will lead to doing the will of the Father. Do I know you? And that word for know there um, in verse 23, um, in the original language, it really means to know relationally. It's not no facts about. It's not no doctrines about. It's no relationally. There's some intimacy involved here. Okay? So it's not just knowing facts about someone. So what Jesus is saying here is like, forget about all the external stuff just for a second. What matters in our life, in any, any, any follower of Jesus' life, is do you know him relationally? Can you call him Father? Do you hear from him? Do you have the Holy Spirit that leads and guides you? So, to, to, to kind of move us towards some application here, because I want to I get specific to help. Uh, last week we saw Jesus lay out two paths, right? The narrow and the wide. And I think one of the ways, there's other ways, but one of the main ways we can be led down the wide road is to listen to teaching that just isn't biblical, to be influenced by ideas and worldviews that just aren't biblical, that will push us towards the broad road that leads to destruction. Now, other things are involved there. I think Satan's involved with that. I think our flesh is involved with that. But I would say false ideas and worldviews and the way our culture works will push us towards the wide road. And I, I don't think Jesus here, I don't, I don't think Jesus wants us to, to get overly introspective. Like, I don't think he wants us to go around and be fruit inspectors of every single person that happens to have a following. I don't think he's, he's wanting us to do that or have all these doubts now about everything we're reading or listening to. Is it, is it false or is it true? I don't think he's trying to create um, that inside of us. I think he's just saying, based off of all the teaching I've just done, based off the teaching you're going to hear after me, don't be enamored with, with external things. Don't be wooed by the flash that comes on the, on the outside. Get to know people, the people who are bringing these ideas, who are influencing you. Know their fruit. Know their character. Um, look at the heart and the soul, because it seems like that's, that's where, that's, that's, that's where the, the fruit is produced. And Jesus is constantly going back to what's on the inside, your heart, your soul, and that's what produces the things on the outside. So get to know people. So here's two actions, I think, from this text that I think we need to apply. 
at two things. First is beware, right? That's the very, out of the gate, Jesus says, beware. So what exactly should we beware of? I want to get more specific. Um, a false prophet could be anyone. It's just not, it's not someone just with a platform. And Jesus says, actually, false prophets come to us. Now think about it in that context. It, they would have had to come to crowds physically, right? Like that was all they had. No phones, no internet. Physically, they had to come and find their followers. They had to recruit their followers by being physically present. In our day and age, the world has shrunk down through technology and the internet. We have, we have false teaching and false ideas, but ideas that aren't biblical coming to us all the time in the form of, of through the internet. Social media, marketing, advertising, commercialism, uh, consumerism, all of these things, these ideas are pounding at us all day long. So the, the false ideas are coming to us. And in the context of, of kind of being this wolf and sheep, these ideas, at least in the context of the church, are meant to, to prey on Christians. They're meant to prey on the sheep, the flock. Now, sheep, if you, if you haven't done any work in understanding why Jesus and God in his word uses sheep to describe Christians, is because sheep are, are not very smart, right? They're not very smart animals. And um, I'm a sheep under Jesus, the chief shepherd as well, so I, I'm with you guys here. Like, they're herd animals left alone. They're just not going to survive. Like, left alone to themselves without a shepherd, there's just no way a sheep is going to survive. They need the shepherd to watch over them. A, sheep will, uh, a flock of sheep will be okay if they have a good shepherd to take them to the right path, to show them where good food is at, to protect them from predators, including wolves. But these wolves are after Christians. The false prophets are after Christians. And so here's some things I think to be careful of, right? So imagine one of your friends or somebody comes to you and says, you have to listen to this person. You have to read this book because they've helped me so much. Or this person or teaching changed my life. And so for us, we're quick because we, 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 that's our friend, we would say, oh, then that person or that teaching must be trustworthy. It must be trustworthy because it's worked or it's changed that person's life. But what if that, per, that freedom that person is feeling now isn't the freedom to follow Jesus, it's the freedom to actually go do something else or follow another way or follow down the broad path. Okay, this, this could be uh, just because that person experiencing freedom, they feel like they've been helped, doesn't mean they're following Jesus. They may be following something else. Raises a question, like, so, so if, if something helps someone, are we able to, or does Jesus give us the permission to critique it, even if it's helpful to someone? And I would say absolutely yes. Absolutely yes. Um, you don't believe something and follow someone just because of how it makes us feel or how, how many other people are following them, or how well that teaching or that idea has worked for people. That's not why we follow people. That's not why, how we're influenced um, in, in the church. Um, see, these false prophets weren't people who got up and spoke uh, really harsh, mean things and spoke about the wrath of God and those things. They, they usually got up in the scriptures and spoke comforting things. They spoke easy things. They wanted people to listen to them. They gave people hope, a false hope, when there really was no hope. They probably should have been giving harder sayings, but they decided not to do that. Uh, one way that this happens with God's word is leaving out God's judgment, God's wrath, sin, talking about some of the things that are hard for us to talk about in the church. But if you leave that stuff out and you pretend that stuff doesn't exist, it cheapens the work Jesus did. It cheapens grace when you leave the bad news out. It, it, it lessens the good news. 
it devalues the work Jesus did on our behalf. It makes us not feel like we really need a savior. Maybe it's something else, but we really don't need a savior. Listen to Jeremiah 23, 16 through 17. This is God speaking through Jeremiah, talking about false prophets. He says this, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, It shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, No disaster shall come upon you. Right? So even God there is saying, like, these people are giving, these false prophets are giving people false hope. Now, on the flip side, we see this again in the New Testament. This is Paul writing to um, the church in Galatia. It was a church Paul helped plant. And these people now were following, um, had gone back into uh, basically a works righteousness, salvation by works. And Paul is writing them here at the beginning of this letter. He's trying to wake them up. This is stern language. He, he said, I'm astonished. You are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Verse 8, but even if we, talking about himself, or an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Basically, let him be condemned. Let him be destroyed if he's preaching a different gospel. Verse 9, as we have said before, so I now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Paul repeats himself there because he wants people to understand the importance of understanding and knowing the gospel. Because those, the, 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 the way that they were leading them astray is leading them to the broad, the, through the broad way, the broad road that leads to destruction. So what are we to do? But one way we can do this is to, to know our scriptures, to be discerning, to be a little bit more critical in how we think about things. When we hear different teachings or we hear about a new book that's getting a, a, lot, of, a lot of publicity, are we, are we reading it through the lenses of, 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 of the scriptures? Of Is this lined up with what the Bible says? Is this going to cause me to love Jesus more and obey God to a greater degree? Are we asking these questions? Even in Christian marketing circles, don't, don't be naive. Just because something is on a bookshelf in a Christian bookstore does not mean that it is biblical. So we have to be wise and discerning as we, and to think about what we intake and what we give our lives to. Um, I think one sobering thing that we can ask ourselves in, in this idea of bewaring is uh, the question of, could I be one of these people? Like, could I, if, if thrust into a position of authority if thrust into some kind of influence overnight, would I lead people astray or would I lead people to Jesus? Why do I do what I do? What are my motives? Because um, I don't want us to just, again, sweep this away thinking this is for people, this, is, this doesn't really concern me, this is for people who have authority, have positions maybe of power. We're all being formed and shaped by something. Right now, we all are. Today, when we leave here, we're going to be formed by something. We're being shaped by something into a kind of person. And Jesus wants to shape you into uh, the person that is united to him and see you have flourishing and freedom and joy. So number one thing that Jesus asks us to do is beware. Second thing, just two, uh, know him deeply. Know him deeply, which will lead to doing the will of the Father. But that word know there, once again, it's relational. And think about the four things I mentioned of a false prophet. Let's take Jesus, for example. He was the true prophet and the tr true savior. Look at fruit. What's his fruit? Well, he, he lived a perfect life, 
died a death on our behalf, rose again after three days. What's the fruit? Our salvation. The fruit he produced through his work is our salvation. The fact that we were wicked and rebellious and didn't want anything to do with him, and yet he welcomed us into the family of God because of his work. He took our sin upon himself, and we get his righteousness. We benefit from the fruit he bore by the life he lived and the death he died and, and, and coming back from the dead. That's his fruit. We're sons and daughters. We're heirs. We have access to the kingdom now. That's the fruit that we have from Jesus. It is good fruit. Amen? Like, we're, benefit, we're beneficiaries of the fruit that he bore. Two, know their character. Jesus did every, he lived every word he said he would. Every, he, 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 what, he didn't live, he wasn't incongruent between his actions and his motives and his words and his teachings. They all lined up together. He always did what was right in the eyes of the Father perfectly. He had, he had perfection, perfect character. Um, who was following them? That was the third one. Pay attention to who was following. What kinds of people are following specific prophets, teachers, leaders? Who followed Jesus? The outcast, the broken, the marginalized, the needy, the humble. Like the, the people who were in need the most, those were the people following Jesus. Those were the ones who wanted to spend time with Jesus. Not the elite, not the proud, um, not the strong, not the ones with the titles. Okay? Not that those people can't follow Jesus, but Jesus wasn't followed by everybody. He was followed by the people who actually desperately needed him. And lastly, that fourth kind of thing was, do, does the teaching, does their influence cause you to, to want to love Jesus at a deeper level and follow God at a deeper level? Um, and Jesus, before he ascended back to the Father, he said, I'm giving you the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, the Spirit of God, to live inside of you when you believe and have faith in him so he can help you so he can give you counsel, so he can lead you in the way that is going to lead to flourishing and peace and freedom and joy. So he doesn't leave us behind. He gives, he, leave us behind without anything. He gives us the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of us too, that allows us to do the will of the Father and to know him relationally. Jesus checks all the boxes of a perfect prophet, the Savior. He is our Savior. Look at John 10. I want to go back to this. I think this sheep-shepherd analogy is, the picture is, is, is beautiful. I think it, um, maybe more than any picture and any metaphor that Jesus uses in, in all the scriptures, I think this is the one that, at least for me, like really communicates that idea of knowing. Like, do, do you know God, and does God know you? Listen, think of those in, while we read these first five verses of chapter 10. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. And I think a false prophet will be put into that category. Verse 2. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice. What is it? The sheep hear his voice. They know him. They recognize him. Even though they're dumb animals, right, they hear the voice of the shepherd. They've been trained to do that. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. They follow him because they know his voice. They, they know him relationally. Verse 5, a stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. So the one thing the sheep can do, really, if, if, if you're like trying to train sheep, it's know the voice of the shepherd. Any other voice, don't go. Like, don't follow. Don't go that way. Stay still. And when you hear the voice of your shepherd, then you can relax. The sheep are trained to do this. Why? Because they've been with the shepherd. They know, hey, that's, that's the person who's going to lead me to food. That's the person who's going to lead me to green pastures. 
that's the person who's going to protect me from, from predators and wolves and those kinds of things. So yes, when I hear the voice of the shepherd, I'm all in because I'm just going to follow like a sheep. I'm totally dependent upon the shepherd, which is really why the, the Bible uses sheep to describe Christians because we are so dependent upon God through his spirit to guide us. So the primary way we do this is to know him relationally. We pursue him. A few quick, very practical things. Know God in his, his word. Spend time in his word. And don't just read it for information, but actually listen. Like how is God trying to communicate to you through his word? It's one way. Prayer, through listening and speaking, right? Not just praying when we need stuff, but actually sitting still, being silent, and hearing the voice of God through his spirit. Um, it's also being um, committed to the practice of community, like giving yourself to a group of people so you can be a part of that group and encourage that group and be encouraged. We, we, we know Jesus to a greater level by the result of being around other brothers and sisters, right? That's, that's part of the church. That's one of the purposes of the church, to help us know God at a great, greater level. And then to remind us, each other, of the sheep. Like, who's your shepherd? Why are you following them? Like, where'd that idea come from? Like, wait, what did you just say? Who taught you that? And so we're able to keep each other in check a little bit by what we're, what, what's influencing us and what's forming us and shaping us. And, and again, this takes time. This takes time. This is a long, over the rest of your life process of learning to, to hear the shepherd's voice and to spend time with him and create habits of spending time in the word and prayer and the habit of being in community and, and really committing to community. One pastor said it like this. I think it's great to kind of give us kind of some, some uh, guidance in, in how we walk this out. He says, we should measure our obedience in terms of direction and not distance. I'll say it again. We should measure our obedience in terms of direction and not distance, which means don't worry about how far you've come. Don't worry about how far you have to go. Take one step in the right direction. Just take one step tomorrow or one step this week or, or next month and in, in, your, in the direction of the shepherd the good shepherd, Jesus. Let me pray for us all as we um, strive to do that now. God, we need help. We need help from your spirit to um, be critical, to be wise, to be able to beware, as you say, of um, ideas and people that would lead us astray, that would lead us away from who you are and lead us away from the narrow road. So help us. We need help to pursue you. Evermore in the history of the world have we as humans been more distracted by all sorts of stuff. Even good stuff can be distracting. And I pray you would help us focus, help us be able to create a margin in our lives and create rhythms in our lives that would allow us to to be with you through your word and through prayer and in community and the other practices that you lay out in scripture so that we may train ourselves and that we may grow up into being people who hear the voice of the shepherd clearly so we can, we can be guided to the places that lead to freedom and joy and to, uh, to, to, to places that will bring us peace and comfort. So help us. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.